Well, welcome to Season 2 of The Marketing Commute, a podcast that explores the roads taken and the lessons learned for the best and brightest in marketing today. I'm Mike Boyd, and joining me on The Commute this time are Andrew Baxter, Senior Advisor at KPMG Australia. Hi, Mike. Professor Vince Mitchell, Professor of Marketing at the University of Sydney Business School. Hi, Mike. As well as Carmen Becker, Partner at KPMG Australia and Leader of their CMO Advisory Practice. Hi, Mike. In this episode of The Marketing Commute, we're joined by Formula One legend Mark Webber. Mark is going to talk to us about his time in Formula One and more recently, his work as an ambassador with Porsche and Rolex and also his very successful sports apparel business, Aussie Grid. We'll also get the latest thoughts and perspectives on marketing trends in Mitchell's Marketing Minute. So in keeping with our guest profession in this episode, it's lights out and away we go. So what's caught everybody's eye this week? Well, I'll kick this one off because this is... um plays a little bit to our guests sort of side hustle if you will later on in the episode um maze this week looking at how um successful esports brands are getting into the whole apparel business so nike's now got a whole range of esports apparel well for me there was a couple of things around brand ambassadorships lebron has has taken on quite a big one uh, with at&t and their new voice activation product and i mean kate upton uh, also became an environmental brand ambassador for canada goose uh, one of the clothing lines so i think the brand ambassadorship thing is uh, alive and well and for me the big elephant in the room this this week and and with this show is what happens in times of crisis to a big sponsorship deal and a big event um, we're in the midst of a coronavirus situation and there are events being cancelled all over the world. We've got the Olympics maybe or maybe not being cancelled. We've had Mobile World Congress being cancelled. What do you guys think brands need to think about when this happens? So for me, this is a great opportunity, right, because it really questions yeah, why you need to have people physically co-located. Yeah, and, and some of these events are already going online to some degree, whether that's via social media or streaming of, of some parts. Yeah, so that's a window to the future. And the advantage of that, of course, is your audience reach becomes enormous once you go digital with these things. So I think there's an opportunity here to change the nature of the event, potentially permanently, because of what Corona's made us happen. I think also, I mean, the challenge for marketers, I mean, if you think about the Olympics, it's a four, once every four-year yeah. event. Yeah. And, and people have, you know, done long-term deals to be Olympic partners uh, and how that's going to play out I think is is a real challenge uh, you know in terms of if it does go ahead if it doesn't go ahead um, how much are those sponsorships worth how much they've tied in um, certain uh, experiential uh, activations at the event yeah it's a big challenge and that's and that's the other big thing is when do you call it I mean Carmen mentioned before you know Mobile World Congress was called I think quite early yeah. do you go early and wear the pain, or like the IOC, do you wait until as late as possible, which is what they seem to be doing, to kind of go, then we'll make a decision on what we're doing. And the most important thing is people's health. And, you know, in, in this situation in particular, the health of the people that are going to attend and to make sure something a virus is not spread. So there's no arguing with the rationale. And, and it's not really a, a choice in, in any way in the end if the virus is spread. But at the beginning, it's like, when do you actually call it? It's fascinating. It is. And, and I think even you know down to, you know, we can say one thing about, um, to Vince's point around, you know, get mass gathering of people, but even to the point of, you know, one of the Formula One races, I think in Vietnam, which is the first year they're doing it, they're actually saying, the Vietnamese government is saying, if you're coming from Italy... You can't you you can't come. You've got to have a quarantine period. So you know Ferrari and other teams may not be able to actually have personnel there. 
so so the, the problem with going digital is you lose that experiential you, you kind of yeah in situ uh, hubbub of what's what's going to happen so 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 then let's let let's actually yeah, disaggregate that yeah, because yeah rather than having yet yeah, one formula 1 gathering of people Everyone can have a Formula One party on the street, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring so, it on. so yeah. you fine by me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, you 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 take that and you try and recreate it and reactivate it yeah. where people are saying, whether it's in their homes or the street party or their local kind of church. Yeah, you know, yeah. You can still get part of that. Yeah, with the type of people who actually want to be there. It's a good, it's a good point. I wonder how the Victorian government or the host cities, you know, sort of coffers would, would, would benefit from that. But it's a really good point. It actually starts to make it, well, no, no, we've got to bring it to us rather than us going to it. We saw it with some of the fashion brands in Milan um, who filmed their fashion show, took away the audience, said to the audience, please don't come because of the problems with the virus. And they filmed it and put that online and streamed it live. So they've got their audience in a different way. So, 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 if you take that idea and you say, well, what we're going to do is, if you want to set up your own your Milan fashion catwalk, yeah, yeah, in a Melbourne street, we'll send you some product out already, yeah, so that you can be doing it the day after, or several days after it actually comes, yeah, you're online, and you had a little bit of press and, and local media around that. You know, I can see the local fashion school, or I can see kind of yeah, yeah, yeah some budding models, yeah, you. Yeah, we're also already Instagram, got a lot of Instagram influencers partaking yeah, mm. in that devolved experience. The virtualization of marketing. So in season one of The Marketing Commute, we talked to 10 Australians who have or are still doing some pretty incredible work in marketing on the global stage. After some time off across the Christmas New Year period, we thought we'd rev things up a little and we hope you enjoy the first episode of Season 2. Our guest this week is somewhat of Australian sports royalty in one of the best marketed sports in the world. However, as you're about to hear, he's considerably more than that. I first met Mark Webber when he was racing for BMW Williams Formula 1 team and the Sydney Harbour Bridge was closed so Mark could do a few laps in his Formula 1 car. He went on to win nine Grand Prix and came tantalisingly close to becoming world champion in 2010. Since retiring from Formula One, he's launched a highly successful sports clothing business called Aussie Grit, and amongst his tireless work for his charities and foundations is a global ambassador for Porsche motorcars and Rolex watches. It's been quite a transition from Formula One racing to the edges of marketing and these ambassador roles, as well as his own business. Mark, thanks for letting us interrupt your rather busy summer vacation, and welcome to the Marketing Commute. Well, great to chat to you guys. Mark, well, let's kind of kick off some of the marketing sides, so some of your ambassadorships. Rolex is kind of one of the strongest brands in the world, and I know there's a great story behind your association with them. Where did it all begin? You're right. They're certainly an absolute tremendous brand. It's a very, uh, very, very famous brand. They love motorsport. They love, obviously, precision timing. They love uh, having the opportunity to to work with with quality and excellence uh, when it comes to their timepieces. So I think the natural synergy towards motorsport was was obvious and in around top flight sport, whether it's yachting or, you know, cutting edge technologies. I won my first Grand Prix in 2009 and I'm not a really big materialistic guy, but I think watches are very, very personal. And obviously when it comes to Rolex, something, if you make a purchase, it's pretty much got a lifetime guarantee on it. Um, You know, if you look after it, in the way you should. So um, I purchased a watch for myself after I won my first Grand Prix in 2009, uh, the Rolex uh, GMT. And from then on, uh, the relationship with, with Rolex in Switzerland and Geneva at HQ, they're just uh, 
got closer and closer over the years and through my good friend Sir Jackie Stewart who has been a Rolex ambassador for over 50 years. So he's been with the brand for a long time and he's in his mid-60s. Extraordinary loyalty and commitment from both sides. And Jackie was in a position to, I suppose, continue to put my name forward and pitch me to them to say that I could represent the brand in a good way. And I was pushing on an open door, which was nice, and then uh, started my association with them. Uh, about four years ago so uh, that's been great and obviously I've been so fortunate to meet so many other top flight sports men and women around the world and also when it comes to other genres in terms of you know the, the ambassadors that Rolex work with. Was it um, was it similar with your relationship with Porsche? Uh, that was a little bit different I was uh, well I suppose yeah I was purchasing the product uh, on, on the sly uh, while I was competing for other brands and with other brands so uh, <laughs> I, I certainly love Porsche you know as a bit of a closet fan and buying their buying their product you know, I didn't have too many but I thought when I was in a position again to buy you know quality and a car which was just very understated in Europe obviously there there there's a lot more exotic uh, I suppose well on paper more aggressive looking and, and more um, I suppose in your face choices and I, I just love the, the, the subtle nature of the 911 uh, it's, a, it's an incredibly versatile car, obviously it has a tremendous amount of performance and it's probably the most popular street car for, for Formula 1 drivers just because of that, it's uh, something you can you can drive it anywhere. You can go up and down driveways. You can do the thing. It's not a, it's not a, a princess of a car in terms of being high maintenance to operate. And I was with probably six or seven years with with uh, before I started my association with Porsche. I was in Formula One. They they approached me to to go and drive there in their Le Mans program, which I was very excited for. I wasn't ready to jump across uh, when they approached me. I had some still some unfinished business in Formula One in terms of my career, and then we. They had a handshake in 2012 in a Stuttgart car park with one of the board members. I said, I'll be back in 14, and uh, I'm still with them today. Mark, you've also obviously launched your own apparel brand, Aussie Grit, and you know, you've done that in a very competitive market as well with the likes of Nike and Under Armour, who are arguably the two of the best marketers in the world. How, how did you go about launching that brand and differentiating it? I'm a rural kid at heart. I'm a, I'm a country guy, uh, and I was very fortunate to grow up in in Queanbeyan, actually near Canberra. Uh, and my parents pushed me to sport at a well, encouraged me to go into sport, which I certainly uh, love doing. I was a jack of all trades and a legend of none. So uh, I then, with my sports, uh, Formula One, I quickly discovered I need to be in very very good shape and in good good. Uh, you know, condition for for that sport and be consistent with that. So that then opened my eyes to, uh, again, working with some very special people uh, that pushed me into new limits and new boundaries, whether it was uh, special forces in the UK, working with some of those guys, was working with people in other other spheres of, of, you know, athletics uh, and and sort of adventure racing or sort of that, that high end sort of, uh, extreme uh, human boundaries of pushing yourself, I suppose. So I was exposed to that during my career, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, and it was never a burden for me to train uh, for my job. I hate gyms, absolutely detest gyms, um, and I love being outside. So I thought that you know I had I had a wardrobe full of so much, so many different brands and so many different uh, sort of choices, I suppose. But it was it was confusing and frustrating to me that uh, as an 
as an Australian and as someone that loves the outdoors, we should be in a position to have something we're proud of as well in Australia. We, we The perception, obviously, of the outside to the, to the rest of the world, probably there's, there's tremendous loyalty. We do things well. We, we, we depend on our products. We try to do a good job. We have got some apparel brands here in the sport section, of course, in Australia, but we don't have a brand at all in this seg- segment, uh, which is, you know... Um, you know, more durable, tougher, tougher type of clothing that that is is going to get the job done in a more hostile environment. So uh, we are stoked with how it's going. Uh, the run stuff is uh, we're just crossing the ditch as we speak into New Zealand, uh, and we've got some events over there in the start of February, and uh, the uptake's been really, really positive. Just just quickly back to motorsport and marketing. I mean, motorsport over the years has sold everything, helped sell everything from watches to car brands to energy drinks, smartphones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I suppose today we talk about brand influences a lot, but possibly 10, 20 years ago, that wasn't a phrase we used as regularly. I mean, were the teams you're involved in aware of that influence are having with audiences around the world? Yes, of course. I mean, off the back of the tobacco years, which was obviously uh, ginormous budgets, uh, and tobacco saw that as a great way to, uh, to, to push their brands. Obviously, that's, those days are over, but then you continue to have world-class blue-chip companies all around the world wanting to uh, align themselves with Formula One because obviously it's uh, it's absolutely a global sport. It's arguably, yeah, okay, the Olympics is once every four years, but this sport is uh, a sport that transcends the whole globe. You can go to Mexico, you can go to Brazil, you can go to parts of the US, you can go to, through Asia, you can go India, you can go to the UK, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Formula One or car racing is incredibly popular. So I think that's why it's incredibly uh, important that those brands do select uh, the opportunity to to expose their brand in in such a cutting edge, and again, you know, with all the technology involved, high, high, high precision, and and sort of uh, you know the the opportunity to be involved at that highest level. Whether it's individual, if you want to be in associated with drivers, obviously, if you want to be on cars, and you've got the risk factor and and that, or you just want to be, for example, like Rolex, who are have very very key signage uh, packages around the world, which is uh, you know great great branding for them. Mark, you've been incredibly successful in yeah, arguably several different yeah, careers, right? Yeah, and, and my question is about yeah, who's helped you yeah, in those decisions with your careers. Yeah, so who have been your mentors and, and uh, what advice have they given to you? Mm, yeah, no, I think um, I've been very fortunate. Again, I had probably Sir Jackie Stewart has been, been the biggest influence on me. I mean, Jackie was a three times Formula One world champion. He retired, I believe, in the early 70s. And uh, he is a... Global brand. I mean, Jackie Stewart. When it comes to uh, motorsport, when it comes to industry, uh, the opportunity for him to—he's uh, now over 80, um, and he's still got the energy uh, that would certainly, you know, wear most people out. Uh, so his enthusiasm for his brand, uh, which has you know taken a long time to get into that position, but uh, he's been a very, very good counsel for me in terms of understanding the equity in your own brand and 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 being consistent with that, aligning yourself with good partners, dealing with the people at the top too. I mean, it's very it's a fine line sometimes to deal with middle management. Obviously, uh, if you want to, you know, get the right decisions and understand where the brand's off to uh, and what what you can do better and you know what's what what we've got in play which is working well. Um, it's important to have those key relationships at the top. And uh, you know, Jackie's been extraordinary with that in terms of you know helping me understand uh, the transition from whether it's you know uh, finishing in the cockpit which is one side obviously got to be very focused on that 
And then when you stop that, of course, which happens in lots of different sports or fashion or or, or music or, or lots of you know obviously the muso guys can or women can they can they can sing a lot longer. But for us, we're, we have a short career. You know, obviously finish in the mid 30s, and then you have a tremendous lifespan ahead of you. So then you're like, well, hopefully you have it in terms of picking up those other opportunities. Is it into the media? Is it in back into management? You know, where where's where's the opportunities? Because in sports, is a tremendous teacher for discipline and consistency and making sure that you are. You have a great routine and you have high work ethic and that's what sports does do uh, in a very, very good way. It's a, it's a tremendous teacher for that. So on that, if you were advising a young marketer with a, an entrepreneurial spirit, yeah, what advice would you give them now? You know, there's no, you know, there's no such thing as an overnight sensation. Obviously, we know that you know many things can take up to ten years to get the traction that you that you want, which sounds absolutely ludicrous. But you know, it can be quicker. It can be, you know, can be inside that, of course. But you know, to have a a, a very successful sporting career, you know, this takes a long time. Um, business, you know, getting the traction, employing the right human capital, getting your HR in order, making sure where you're off to, where's the journey. You know, of course, it never goes to plan. It never goes exactly how you thought it would go. You've got to pivot. You've got to be dynamic. You've got to go on that journey. And trust is important. Yes, you can focus on performance, but if you don't have trust, I mean, always take trust over performance and a strength of those people which you can teach performance. But if you haven't got people you can, can't trust, you've got a huge issue in the culture of, the, of, of, your, of your startup or of your people. Or So finding the people that you have tremendous amount of trust with and sharing that passion and vision that's important and be re- be relentless with it um, and because you also you have to be prepared to do things that other people aren't and that is work you know of course very hard and clever you're not just about you know completely destroying yourself and running your batteries out yes you've got to go hard there's a lot of that out there now but you know be crafty be clever network well you know simple things be brilliant with names try to be great at that all those little small details which make people remember that you're you, you, you know you mean business and you're authentic you mentioned that about yeah, being Aussie. You know, Australia has a, a fabulous global yeah, brand. Yeah, and you are a fabulous brand on a global stage. Yeah, what has that Australian aspect actually given and, and, and delivered for you? There's quite a bit of insecurity, I think, with some Australians, believe it or not. I think that we are confident, of course, but we also have that, I call it nearly paranoid perfection of actually wanting to run a little bit on fear and run that you, you know, how much is enough? And are you doing, is, is it enough that, that you're, you know, for example, for me, I'm going to the other side of the world. I left, I left here in 17, 18, and I'm going over there. I don't really know anyone, uh, and I'm going to go into the hotbed of, of motorsport, which is, like you want to be the best baseball player or the best, you know, basketball player in the world, you've got to go to the US. If you want to do it in racing, you've got to go to Europe. And it was so, so hot. The talent over there, and I just saw it, you know, um, the, you know, the commitment I made to myself and the people that did believe in me to start with was, you know, you, you've gone a long way. So already that's a, that's, a, that's a big test. I didn't see that as a huge drama, but I had, you know, culturally, you know, it's, it's, if you want to step outside your comfort zone here in Australia, there is, you know, we are, as every country has its own cultures and its own idiosyncrasies of how they operate, but you've got a, a lot of things to get used to, and that means learning and being, and being um, adaptive to other cultures and, and, and how you can best fit into those. So Australians, I think we've got that, you know, ruggedness and having a crack and giving yourself a red-hot go and and really, you know, backing yourself. And I think that's um, something which has stood us in pretty good stead. And I think it's the same stead for, for the New Zealanders. I think, you know, that's sort of... There's lots of countries like that, but trying to, you know, answer your question, what is specific about Australians, I think that we're... 
you know, we will we, we will have a go, and I think that we 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 are we're pretty efficient with with you know what goal setting is, and don't get bogged down in in some of the you know the small nuances that maybe some other cultures might do. And it's so interesting um, the area of trust that you were talking about before, and maybe because of that attitude to life, we do get that trust endeared in our people in the Australian and New Zealanders around the world. Um, I was quite interested in you talking about when you're an ambassador for a brand, it's actually a two-way street. You have to trust them as well as they trust you. We often talk about brands here from the perspective of the the company and the issues that they can sometimes have with the people they choose as ambassadors. But could you tell me a bit about what it's like from the other side when you're actually choosing a company that you're going to loan your image to, what are the things you consider and have you had any interesting experiences you could share with us? Yeah, no, it's a good point. You're right. It is, it is a two-way street. You don't work on your brand for 20 or 30 years and, mm. then, and then, you know, dilute that with something or, or, you know, something that could be on the fringe, let's say, with, uh, with uh, something that's not that you believe in. For example, I, I'm not a huge fan at all of gambling and I have been approached by gambling companies to, for me to promote their products and I, ref- and I won't do that mm. because I don't think gambling is a good thing. I try to and I believe I'm being very consistent with this have promoted companies that uh, I would use their products and I like to uh, and I'm proud of the journey they've been on or what they're going on. So I have had a few uh, scenarios come past me where either ethically or or what you know some of the, the backgrounds might not, and it, it sounds you know a, a bit a bit a bit a bit snobby or it can sound that you 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 can be you know certainly you can be picky because end of the day you have to choose what is right for you. But and and maybe I've missed one or two that I I, I sort of you know the 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 ethics I over I over overcooked it. I should have said, well, maybe I, I, I missed some opportunities on that. And whether it's regions, you know, of the of the world where there's, you know, political unrest, and you get approached to go there and and open something or help help, you know, give it some PR value. It's like, well, probably best to stay clear of that because mm, it's not be really so going to suit me. Yeah. So you've got the financial side, of course, uh, but also, you know, once you do that, it's it's done. Um, so I I've tried to be let's say extremely boring when it comes to uh you know being being with um more strict on myself i should say in terms of the, the, the some of the opportunities that come there and then but when you've got these brands that have been around for such a long period of time um you you can see comfort in that you know i do see comfort in 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 some of those brands i mean red bull for example you know some people might find that quite a controversial product but um, I've known the boss Dietrich Mudachitz for, for over 13 years now. I've been with the brand for that long, um, and I'd be absolutely blown away uh, if people, you know, when you Dietrich's a very very private guy, but when you when you when you meet him and, and you have an opportunity to talk to that guy, the, the values and the standards and, and and what he has, particularly now, he's been before his time on lots of things in terms of the discussions of the hot topics out there now, sort of globally, and this guy. It's extraordinary to be around, and I continue to learn off him. And he has, um, yes, he's got a a drink that 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 might not be for everyone, but um, that's a brand which you know I I, I really do. Uh, they they love pushing people's boundaries. They love getting people. You know, sport is absolutely you know huge. They they do a lot with music. They do a lot of you know lots of different spaces, and 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 they 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 push for people to 
to reach their potential, and 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 I do like that. Okay, the drink I do drink Red Bull, but you know it, I accept it's not it's not for everyone. The ingredients might not you know push for everyone, but actually I I, I do drink the drink, and I like their journey and their story. And how much control do you get over the content that those brands might put out about you, or how much Very, do you like to get? Yeah, <laughs> might be the yeah. more appropriate question. It, again, it's down to culture. What I find is, uh, for example, I will use the partners I'm with at the moment and I have absolutely complete, I'm very, very relaxed with uh, with with Porsche, uh, Rolex and Red Bull. Um, I also do some work with Hugo Boss and, and, and with that, I want to be careful of how the photos, of course, so you want to make sure what, what, what the, sometimes what the Germans like and how that might look is something which might be you know i love their you know i've worn their gear for a long time but sometimes you have a personal choice and you have to be very straight and say i don't like that look i don't i don't think it's it's not that um something that we and you might have some challenging conversations on that so um in general uh the trust over time gets and they and they know your style they know what you like and they know the boundaries i suppose of of what's you know, you've got the agencies pushing them super, super hard on this is how this is ideal and this is what we want. Well, Mark's not really like that. And then you might have someone else within their, their portfolio on their group that is going to be perfect for them. So there is, it has to be a healthy tennis match. It just cannot be that it, it's a one-way street because at the end of the day, that will, it can over time just cause that unnecessary, you know, little bit of friction. It's got to be, I think, as natural as possible that you are going to be in there and, and it's got to be authentic. I mean, we've got, let's say, these influencers. Or, you know, so if I do a story on a Porsche, I really, really hope, and because I, I know the product well and I push the car to the limit, I know all the boundaries, it's going to be a something which is going to be authentic and, and, and that's something that, you know, you might get someone with more followers, all these things, you know, but that they might, if this particular person might have absolutely no idea about cars, now how many for example, if you want to cut cut to the chase, how many cars might he or she sell? You know, so it's actually my my obviously I, I could be extremely focused on my on my um on the demographic the Porsche are hitting by using me. And because you know what you want, have they ever involved you at the innovation stage rather than just at the here's the product, help us sort of be an ambassador for it? They've actually come to you for creation and ideas. Porsche in particular, yes. I mean, if you can help in the early stages of, of some of the car design or car development, yes. I mean, they they are they are not shy in. Um, my job is to actually push the cars to the to the absolute to the limit, and that's something which they 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 want to happen because they they have the envelope of operation of the car, which can be quite. Uh, it's very wide, and then don't shy away from that. You know, when in my briefing, when I drive the cars, is is to is to run them really really hard and and give it a really really challenging time which is most people of course on the street are not going to do that and uh, so yes you can have an opportunity to have some input in in some products in the early life uh, cycle absolutely. Mark are there any brands that you particularly admire at the moment that you may not necessarily be working with but brands that you really admire and the reasons why? I like uh, Williams here in Australia. I think that's uh, something. Again, I'm very patriotic, but I but I love that story. I like the origins. I like the family background. I like the, how they've they've gone about it, uh, and that's in essence showcases. Uh, it's like a real good embodiment of, of of what we stand for. I mean, that again, I am very biased towards that type of environment because I, 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 I'm a bit more, you know, I'm not a guy that can live in New York or live in London or whatever. So I'm, 
I'm, uh, you know, I get that there's there's other brands out there that are, that are on Fifth Avenue and in Mayfair that um, you know, Aaron's Williams probably quite not their demographic. But uh, I think it's always the ones, mate, that have you know just that tremendous. You know, they haven't been bought out. Still family owned. Still, you know, they've managed to stick to their guns. And um, you know, I know the Barilla Pasta people very well. Uh, and that's a great story. You know, the Italian family in Parma there, and and they've, you know, it's I've been, I've I've, I've eaten at the table of the family there, and 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 where the original parcel sort of started to uh, the ideas were, you know. Uh, being designed and their SKUs now. I mean, just doing like a, a little penne pass, but I think they've got over 35 or nearly 40,000 SKUs now. Can you believe that as a company? Mm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, and meeting the guys and the family and just, you know, and it's just passion, you know, and, and that's, that's really, uh, just shows you how simple, you know, yes, they've, they've had some headwinds, no question about it, you know, as have Aaron Williams and, and, you know, how, how do you scale, how do you get big, like, say, the journey you go on, who you're with along that journey in terms of, you know, who you're aligning yourself with and where's the campaigns and, and how, how's your target, you know, audience, all the rest of it, all that stuff that you guys know really, really well. But it's, it's brands like that, I think, um, yeah, and there's a lot more, mate, but obviously it's a great question, never been asked it, but there's, uh, yeah, I think um, I'm working with a few though, so I'm happy with that. Well, that's good, and I, and and I think I think the two words you said there, which are really key, are passion and authenticity. You know, they are the two words I think that you know sum up two elements of theirs. Um, mate, what's next for you? I'm back here for the Australian Grand Prix. I'm working with Channel Ten, doing the commentary for the Formula One race here, and that's a real. The Australian Grand Prix is such a brilliant event. You know, it's a global global event clearly the first race of the year uh, so it's nice to be there for that um, I know the Victorian government pay for it but I always saw it as the Australian Grand Prix it's an event we should be very proud of and um, it showcases everything we do brilliantly so well mate thank you very much for your time I've, that's uh, what's that there's 35 minutes that have just whizzed by and we, we mm-hmm. really appreciate um, mate having a chat and um, we, we will certainly uh, be back in touch in the future and wish you well with all your endeavours thanks very much guys I hope you I hope it was what you expected. I hope it seemed, seemed to go pretty well, so it's uh, always hard to get a feel for it. But uh, yeah, thanks for your time and uh, look forward to keeping an eye on you guys. So for this week's Marketing Minute, yeah, I'm going to do a shameless plug yeah, for my new book. It's called... <laughs> Real people, real decisions, yeah. And, and look, there are lots and lots of introduction to marketing techs out there. It's such a crowded market, yeah, and it's very competitive. So the buyer's question is, what does this book offer that's any different? So here's my elevator pitch to you. The first thing to say is that most marketing textbooks give general principles or frameworks, but often don't deal with the actual marketing decision being made by real companies. This book does. At the beginning of every single chapter, the student has to think about the pros and cons of each alternative for an actual decision. As a result, it really helps to overcome the hindsight bias problem that we face when teaching marketing. Namely, that if you only teach success cases, most success stories seem obvious and a good idea with hindsight. They don't really expose the foresight problem when faced with the numerous things that marketers could do and how you decide between the ones which you actually end up doing. Our book does this for every type of decision, like pricing, segmentation, market research, and communications. And it includes interviews with people who've made these decisions at companies such as Johnson & Johnson, Weight Watchers, Levi Strauss, and Twitter. So team, 
what do you think about the problem of hindsight bias and how we might overcome it in the classroom? Any thoughts? It doesn't teach resilience, does it? Hindsight Why? bias. Yes. Because if you're always looking at success stories... You, you don't look at failures. Abs yeah, absolutely. I mean, for th that's, a, that's a separate problem that we don't look at failures in marketing. And the reasons you're for that, apart from a book by Hartley called The Marketing Mistakes, which is in about its 11th edition, I think that's the, the only one that I've seen on the market. Yet most companies yet don't want to talk about their failures, right? That's why we struggle to gain cases on failures in marketing. If I think back, and I'm a student going through university, you do. I mean, it's those great discussions that you end up having with your, you know, your your original bosses and the mentors you've had along the way that you learn around the successful case studies and some of the lessons learnt from things that haven't gone so well. So, so I think this um, idea of trying to challenge students to be thinking about decision making before they actually know the answer is is quite a good one because. You know, we need to have people coming through and working in, you know, um, graduate marketing roles that have got that ability. And also we're in a world now where there is a, you're able to code and machines can help learn what may happen in the future based on what's happened in the past. We're in that technology world. So to your point on teaching, there should be a way for us to look at the past and, and predict the future. But for that, you have to look at all actions in the past, not just the positive actions. So how do you try and get that wider scraping of data to enable uh, young marketing students to predict the future? Well, that's it for this episode of The Marketing Commute. Thanks to our guest, Mark Weber, to Andrew Baxter and Carmen Becker from KPMG, and to Professor Vince Mitchell from the University of Sydney Business School. To our producers, Boyd Britton and Billy Gleeson, the studios here at the University of Sydney Business School, and to KPMG's customer brand and marketing advisory team. You can find The Marketing Commute on all good podcast networks, and you can read more detailed show notes and get links to each episode and find out more about our guests and presenters on our website, themarketingcommute.com. I'm Mike Boyd. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the next stop on The Marketing Commute. You have reached your destination.